WDBM East Lansing. The impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. Good evening and welcome to Exposure. I'm Abby Newton bringing you the best in Michigan State, East Lansing, and Lansing News. I hope you all had a great weekend and are having an even better Tuesday. Although it's a little rainy and gloomy outside, it is 56 degrees and it's still January. Now tonight on Exposure, we will sit down to hear from Professor Liu, who has spent 17 years working on panda research, then two women, actually now one male, in the ROTZ program at Michigan State will discuss his and her thoughts on the recent lift on the ban in women in combat. Later, we will hear about the new happenings on campus, and to end the show, we have our very own Spartan Spotlight and a segment of our Michigan Storytelling Series. But first, here are today's headlines. The Michigan State Superintendent Mike Flanagan talked today about raising teachers' salaries to $100,000. This is according to MLive. It would be to encourage more qualified math and science students to consider a career in education. Now, Flanagan said many students don't think teachers make enough money, but he thinks his thought to raise the salary could change um, and make it more competitive. Now, in Michigan, the average teacher makes $61,000 a year, according to the state data. There has not been any proposals for funding yet, but stay tuned. Now, much debate has occurred in the Senate about immigration reform. Today, President Obama said, The good news is that, for the first time in many years, Republicans and Democrats seem ready to tackle this problem together. NBC News reports that the Senate is looking to strengthen border security, crack down on employers who hire undocumented workers, streamline legal immigration, and offer undocumented workers a path to citizenship. You're listening to Impact Exposure. First floor. Hey, what floor are you going to? <clears throat> oh, uh, three. Thanks. <coughs> hey, didn't we, uh, have... Yeah, that one class. Yeah, that's so funny to, <laughs> to see you, because I <coughs> thought maybe we could, uh... Would you ever want to, um... <coughs> I was wondering if you, if I could stick my finger in your eye. What? No. Oh, I just flushed some toilets and touched a doorknob. What? I've been keeping this moist Kleenex Ew, in my pocket. that's uh, so gross. I thought we could, you know, just stick my finger Ugh. in your eye. Is that weird? No, don't touch me. What's wrong with you? Oh, sorry. Well, ever since you got in the elevator, you've been coughing all over your hands and pressing those buttons, so I just thought you were into that kind of thing. Free. Studies show that three quarters of women and only half of men actually wash their hands in the bathroom. That's nasty. Stop the flu and other germs by regularly washing with soap and avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. More at cdc.gov slash clean hands. Impact 89FM. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Prime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. From 10 p.m. until midnight Sunday nights, listen to the Impact Afterglow, where you can hear a variety of relaxed tracks to help you ease into the start of a new week. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. 
MSU president, Luana K. Simon, recently launched Spartans 360. Um, MSU faculty and students will travel to 10 sites across four continents to work with people to enhance the quality of life and opportunity in different areas of the world. One of the 10 stops was southwestern China with Professor Jack Liu. He is a university distinguished professor of fisheries and wildlife and the director of the Centers for Systems Integrations and Sustainability. Professor Liu has spent 17 years working in, for, and around the Wolong National Nature Reserve in southwestern China. He is known as the Panda Man and has spent his time learning what it makes a healthy panda home. Now, welcome to Exposure, Jack. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Now, first, can you tell us about your research in the Wolong National Nature Reserve? Yeah, the research that we have been doing uh, in Oolong Nature Reserve is on pandas and people and basically to understand how pandas um, are affected by people and how the panda habitat change affected people. And so uh, to understand their complex relationships. Okay, now how'd you get interested in panda research? That was uh, uh, 17 years ago when I was still a postdoc uh, associate at uh, Harvard University. I received a job offer from Michigan State University. So I began to think about what to do uh, when I'm here. So one thing that I figured out was to research um, pandas and relationship with people. Because in the past, people usually work on um, uh, biology of pandas, like how, uh, how much panda will eat bamboo and uh, how many babies pandas will have and so on and so forth. Those are important issues, but the most critical issue is how humans affect panda habitat because pandas are endangered species. They are endangered because of human activities. Okay, and again, you've been deeply entwined with the human and natural world interaction. Can you explain your findings about the topic of the natural world and the human world interacting? Yeah, there are a lot of uh, interesting findings that we have uh, uh, made in the past uh, seven years. Uh, there are a lot of surprises. One surprise was this uh, nature reserve was established in 1975. And after um, the nature reserve was established, the government uh, of China and the international community, like WWF, have put a lot of uh, resources to protect the habitat for the pandas. And that was the original purpose of establishing a nature reserve, is to protect the habitat. But one, uh, our research found out was that uh, uh, the habitat actually getting worse after the reserve was established. Wow. And it getting worse faster than before the reserve was established. So that was a surprising result. And the government did not believe that. And the international organizations did not believe that. But we published the paper in the most prestigious journal called Science Magazine and get a lot of media attention. Even the president of China knew about this research. Wow. So um, um, it took us uh, uh, some time to convince the uh, government and the other researchers the findings that we had was uh, accurate. And actually, a lot of people did some uh, uh, verification of our research. And then after that, the government made a lot of uh, good changes. Okay. One change was uh, the, one of the co-authors of our paper um, became the new director of the Nature Reserve. So he began to implement some policies which actually had uh, changed the, the uh, trend of habitat destruction. Okay. How did, why did the reserve, um, upon its original establishment, what happened? How come it was getting worse? Be, uh, uh, 
Because in nature reserve there are a lot of people in it. Not like in the U.S. in the national parks don't have people in it, right? And here in the in China and many other developing countries, nature reserves were established after people lived there for、uh, generations. And it's really difficult to get people out of the nature reserves. When people are in the nature reserve, they depend on the local resources, like forest, which is a habitat for the pandas,、uh, for fieldwood, for example. The、uh, local resident depend on the fieldwood for、uh, to heat their houses in the winter time, and also to cook food for themselves, and、uh, also for pigs, which are the major livestock in the、uh, nature reserve. So they had to cut down a lot of trees, and also there are a lot of tourists coming to the reserve. And then, in order to meet the, the demands of、uh, tourists, they have to use local resources as well. So those um, uh, um, uh, factors affected the habitat. And then, in fact, the population size of humans increased by about seventy percent after the nature reserve was established. The number of households increased about one hundred. Forty、uh, percent, so even much faster than number of people. So when you have so many households, then you need more resources to support those households. Wow, it sounds like it.、Yeah. Now, what changes has the new director made that have benefited the reserve? So there are several new policies have been implemented. One of the policies is called the Natural Forest Conservation Program, which the government provide money for the local resident to、uh, monitor the forest. So instead of cutting down the forest. So the uh, local uh, resident receive money, and by monitor the forest, so they can stop illegal harvesting of the forest, and also they get money from the monitoring activities, so they can use the money to buy electricity, so they don't need to cut down that many forest for fuel wood. So that's one of the policies, and another policy is called the green to green program, which is to return the cropland to forest land. Which eventually become、uh, habitat for the pandas. So that's very helpful because、uh, that's a, a method to restore the habitat for the pandas. The third policy is to build a、um, a new、uh, hydropower station inside the reserve. It's not like a Three Gorges Dam, which is huge, but this is a small hydropower station which provide electricity for the local. Resident to use for cooking for heating in the winter time. Okay, wow, that's a lot of initiatives. Yeah, yeah. Now you also in your research you talk about coupled human and natural systems. Could、yeah. you explain that? Yeah, coupled human and natural system basically are the systems in which humans interact with the natural systems.、Um, the basic uh, uh, concept is the feedback: how humans affect the natural systems, how the changes in the natural system affect people. So that's very important because even inside the reserve, we find that、uh, people cut down the trees, right? And then the、uh, forest become less and less. So people have to go farther, farther away to get collect the fuel wood. So they take more time to get there. It's more tedious. Is、uh, uh, also the nature reserve is in a mountain area. It's very difficult to climb the mountains and to cut down the trees. So that's.、Uh, Um, uh, a kind of feedback that the, the nature system change will have impact on the humans. Okay, and what、yeah. have the humans' response been to the、uh, reserve itself and the changes that they are looking forward to? Right. So they they、uh, there are several responses. One is to uh, uh, find jobs elsewhere, 
and so that they can make incomes and um, uh, or grow crops. They can sell those uh, uh, cash crops to cities so that they can uh, gain income. And another thing is that, that they can uh, have more electricity to use. And when they have more income, then they can uh, uh, use more electricity instead of cut down more trees. Okay, so wow. The, so that's the change in lifestyles, basically. Definitely a no. um, very much an interacting relationship between right. the pandas and the humans right. Right. in more ways than one, it sounds right. like. Right, Okay, now um, also you've been exploring conservation and sustainability, which you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. What are your future goals in that realm? In the future goal is to understand the long-term dynamics of the uh, systems, how human change over time, how natural systems change over time, how panda habitat change over time. And uh, even though we have been doing research there for 17 years, so there are a lot of things that we did not see before. For example, the earthquake. There was a major earthquake in 2008. That earthquake uh, does not happen you know, every 20 years and it happens every 60 or 70 years. So we really needed to have long term to observe the impact of those kind of uh, natural disasters and just less frequent, but the big impact events. Okay, have you, are you recovered completely from the earthquake? Or are you still uh, kind of? We're still recovering from the earthquake oh. and they, uh, a lot of uh, things have been done, but more things need to be done in the future. And uh, a lot of people have moved their houses from the mountain area to more flat area so that they can have less problem due to the landslide. Oh, okay. So another long-term goal is that we use this um, uh, nature reserve as a laboratory. Usually people think about laboratory within a building. Mm-hmm. We use this nature reserve, which is about 200,000 uh, hectares inside, as a uh, laboratory to observe what happened in uh, natural systems, what happened in the human systems, and how they changes their relationships. Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, now, you've been, again, like you said, you've been researching and being, you know, going to China from China for yeah. 17 years. Mm-hmm. What has been the most memorable moment or experience that you've been able to have? I think one of the things that I mentioned earlier is the surprise result we find the habitat destruction. Another surprise that we find is that after those policy change, we now see the improvement of the panda habitat. And so there is a turning point that the panda habitat become, get destroyed, now get recovered. So that's really relief for us to see the changes. So that's a tipping point that we saw in our research. Okay, and do you continue to go back? Are you planning, excuse me, planning to continue to go back to China? Yes. Okay. We, I just come back from China, actually. Yeah, three days we, ago or two days ago? Uh, a few days ago. <laughs> and uh, uh, we have a postdoc research associate, actually, is now in Nature Reserve. Okay. And what he's doing now is to put uh, uh, GPS collars on the pandas. So we can monitor the pandas 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we can see where the pandas go, how they uh, uh, react to human activities, and then uh, what they do when they're in different locations. Wow, it sounds like you guys are making huge strides, and I hope you continue to. And that's all the time we have tonight, but thank you very much for coming with us. We learned a whole lot here on Exposure tonight. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, after the break, we will hear from the ladies in uniform. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure. 
For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You wouldn't send a text while using a chainsaw. Check out these pics of this huge tree falling. You probably wouldn't text while scuba diving. And you definitely wouldn't send a text while making out. You are so smoking hot. I love your elbows. Wait, hold on a second. Huh? I need to send this. OMG, I'm like totally kissing him right now. Dude, what the f***? So why would you send a text while driving? Well, that's different. That's what about 6,000 people who died last year said. Oh. And now, it's illegal in Michigan to read, type, or send any text from your phone while driving. It's a $100 fine for the first offense and 200 bucks after that. Ouch. Check out Michigan House Bill 4394. Be a part of the solution and save a life. And seriously, put the phone away while you're making out. Oh, come back, cuddle bunny. You need help. 88.9 The Impact. Now, back to Impact Exposure. Abby Newton, Impact Exposure. Last Thursday, U.S. military leaders lifted the ban on women serving in combat, or combat positions in the military. The change opens hundreds of thousands of frontline positions for women. With me now are ROTC cadets Susan Pioli and Matt Tradis. Uh, thank you for joining me, you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. You're welcome. Now, first off, um, Susan, being a woman and this new uh, law being passed or, you know, considered, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I'm excited. I think that uh, the Army is trying to diver- diversify itself, um, but I also think there's pros and cons to uh, the issue that we're discussing. What are those pros and cons? Um, I think there's talk that the standards for women might be lowered uh, if they are to be introduced into the combat positions. Um, and just for mission success, I believe that the, um, I believe that the standards, uh, shouldn't, shouldn't be lowered and that we should be able to do, um, just as much as the males can. Okay. Uh, now why did you get involved in ROTC in the first place? Uh, my dad actually is a civilian for the Army Corps of Engineers, so he kind of introduced me to the whole program and that's how I got in. Okay. Are you enjoying it so far? Yeah. Very good. And Matt, how about you? Why are you involved in ROTC? I was involved in ROTC mostly for the leadership experience, job experience, and just because I thought it would be interesting, get to travel the world, do all the fun stuff. Uh, and I, I think it's, it's definitely overall good experience, and it, it teaches me a lot about myself and jobs. Sure. Now, what is your dream position in the military? Or do you plan on staying with the military for long term? What are your thoughts? Uh, right now, I, I'm already signed up to go armor, which is basically I'll be a tank, a platoon leader. Uh, and then after that, after about four years, I go military intelligence. So that starts in May, and depending on how I like it, I'll decide if I want to stay in it. Okay. How about you, Susan? What are your dream positions in the military? Um, I just found out that I branch Signal Corps. It basically has to do with uh, telecommunications, computers, radio frequencies. Um, and I'm going to stay with that until I see otherwise. That's excellent. So, Matt, what are your thoughts on the lift, the potential lift on banning women in the combat positions? Obviously, it has pros and cons. Uh, my opinion, this isn't the Army's opinion, I don't think the ban should have been lifted. I feel that women in combat roles could be a distraction. Uh, there could be you know, preg- different pregnancy rates that could affect the mission, the overall success of the mission. 
there could be sexual harassment, uh, stuff that stuff that takes away from the mission focus, especially when you're dealing with people's lives. Um, but there's also good things. It is definitely a diversification. It's good for the army to be diversified. It's good for them to change. But if the standards stay the same, I think it could be it could be good. But we'll see. Okay, Susan, what do you say um, to men who are critical of the potential lift? Um, I think I I don't have a direct response to that. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things in the military that have happened, and there are always going to be going to be people who are for it and against it. And I think with time that um, those two sides eventually come together. So I think now uh, a lot of people just have different opinions um, and there's not one right answer. Okay. Uh, Matt, in men and especially ROTC cadets, do you feel that your opinion is shared mainly among the men or what do you, you know, what do you gauge from the men's opinion? I guess it kind of depends on the male. There's, there's some men in ROTC and just in the army in general that are pretty traditional, kind of hardcore about being infantry or combat arms and stuff, and they don't agree with it. I know a lot of people that don't, but I also know a lot of people that do. There's a lot of men that think it would be good for to have women in there, kind of diver- diversifying it up, and especially men that aren't in combat roles. Uh, they're already dealing with it already, so they don't care, really. It doesn't have anything to do with them. Sure, that makes sense. And again, um, being put in frontline combat duty is a requested position, right? Yes. Okay, so do you think women are going to pursue this position? I think women who can see themselves meeting the standards, yes, will um, would like to see themselves as those platoon leaders or squad leaders um, in those in infantry or armor. Um, but I also think that there are going to be women who don't request it, just like there are men who don't request to be in those combat positions. I think it obviously be a smaller percentage of women that that try, but there's definitely some I know cadets, some women cadets in ROTC that that would probably go for it. And I've I met women that, that were kind of upset that there was a ban on it when they first found out, when they first joined the military. So, Okay. Now, do you see yourself pursuing a position in direct combat? Well, armor is, is a combat armors branch. It, mm-hmm. was, it was previously unallowed for women to be in there until last week. So, yeah, and so it's, it's going to be a lot different. It's going to be – there's going to be changes when I get to the armor school and how they do everything. So it'll be kind of like a, a different thing that I have to worry about now. It could be – good it could be bad who knows and you're kind of in the front line when everyone's adjusting to it yeah at similar times so you'll be for you know seeing it right up front exactly um now being a woman there's only 15 percent of women who make up the military what's it like being a woman in rotc honestly i don't i don't feel like oh i'm a woman and he's a he's a male cadet um it's just a lot of equal like it's just a lot of equality we all hold the same positions we all do the same thing all the same physical training are all expected to be there. So, I mean, I, I know I'm a woman and that he's a male, but I don't, it, I'm blinded to it, I guess. That's excellent, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, you know, hopefully what people want it to be. Mm-hmm. That's great. Now, uh, go ahead. In the military, it's kind of like a brotherhood. You see the person next to you. Uh, when we do work in ROTC, it's kind of just, we just do it. We don't, we don't worry about, like, hey, she can't do this because she's a female. <laughs> uh, it just gets done, and we trust each other. It's it's basically the same. It's just it's just a matter of being in combat that's different because we're obviously not in combat right now. Sure. Now, so you don't think, um, oh man, you just got beat by a girl. There's none of that. Uh, no, I, I've actually not seen that in ROTC. It's it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, it, I don't I don't I don't know why, but it just doesn't happen really because it's a brotherhood. Sure. That's neat. Um, now, also, could you explain for our listeners who aren't sure what the ROTC program is and how it works? Could you kind of give us a summary on what you do and what's expected? 
Sure. It's um, uh, usually a four-year program. You can start uh, as a freshman, and you you build your knowledge of uh, being an Army leader up uh, from the basic levels as a freshman to more advanced levels as a senior. Uh, after junior year, you're expected to go to uh, LDAC, it's called the Leadership Development Assessment Course, out at Fort Lewis in Seattle, Washington. Um, it's a 29-day camp, that we call it, <laughs> and it you just get evaluated on the skills that you've learned freshman, sophomore, and junior year. Uh, then senior year, you're preparing to go off to be a platoon leader after you graduate in commission. Okay. What are the uh, responsibilities and the duties week by week? Uh, week by week, you have physical training in the mornings. It could be anywhere from from one to five days, depending on how physically fit you are already. Usually it's around three for the average person. Uh, every Tuesday we have a two-hour lab, which is just leadership training. You, you get out there, we do uh, leadership sticks lines, as they're called. It's basically you're, you're a squad leader in charge of about nine people, and you lead them through little missions, like kind of little mock missions. Uh, you do a bunch of other stuff, like weapons training and all that fun stuff. And then there's about one weekend a semester, you go to Fort Custer, Battle Creek, and do a field training exercise. And then there's also extracurricular activities in ROTC that you can do for another three hours a week. Um, basically, you spend anywhere from 10 to, as a senior, 30 hours a week in ROTC. Wow. So and you guys are getting so close, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what are you most looking forward to coming closer to graduation in the ROTC sense? Um, I think just the new experiences, like... We're ending our ROTC career, uh, and we're just starting something new, and we have no idea what it's going to be like. We don't know where we're going to be or what we're going to be doing. So I think as a group, collectively, we're just really excited um, that we've been so well prepared uh, by Michigan State Army ROTC and uh, are just looking forward to the future. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited because Michigan State has one of the best programs in the country for ROTC. So I'm excited to see how I stand as a platoon leader in charge of around 30 people, see how I can lead them, and hopefully you know, keep them safe and just do my job, complete the mission. Well, we wish you the best of luck in the future, and thank, thank you. you for serving. Yeah. Um, again, this Thanks. is Susan and Matt with the ROTC program. Thank you. Uh, next up on Exposure, we will hear from a few other sources. First, we have uh, Michaela Colonna reporting about what's new on Michigan State's campus. You're listening to Impact Exposure on... Spring semester at Michigan State always guarantees a fresh start. Thank goodness. Brand new classes, the excitement of meeting people, and of course, the clean slate feeling each new semester brings. MSU has undergone some changes as well, ones that might make campus seem a little newer. I took some time and explored some of the newest additions MSU residence life has made this semester. If you take a trip to the corner of North Shaw and Farm Lane, you'll stumble across Shaw Cafeteria, the most recently renovated calf on campus. The Vista, MSU's newest spot to grab a bite to eat, features a variety of unique food options that students won't find anywhere else on campus, including the Bread Box, Garden Walk, and Main Street. I chatted with Kathy Collins, the Director of Residential Education and Housing Services here at MSU, about these new renovations. She said there's a definite reason why the Shaw Cap is ideal for MSU students. I know we've been drawing a large population over from the College of Education. Engineering's right there, chemistry's right there, the law school's right there. So I believe that it's convenient, certainly for the students that live in the center part of campus. 
I like this cafeteria because it's fun to try new food. That was undecided freshman Sierra Lesky, a frequent visitor to the new cafeteria. And I like all the seating and all the windows. Students may have spotted a new fixture on campus, present at the Union on Green and White Days and the Izone Campout on Munfield. There isn't much searching to do when it comes to finding MSU's only source of food on wheels. Collins says the food truck was originally a way to feed students in the central part of campus while the Shaw Cafeteria was under construction. But now it's just another everyday part of Spartan life that students have grown to love. The students have enjoyed the food truck. The sales are high. The food is outstanding. We can take the food truck to different events. And the mobility of the food truck will actually allow us to meet the need where it's at versus a, a dining hall that's stationary. Need somewhere to burn off those calories after a full day of delicious food? Look no further than Holden Hall in South Neighborhood. The fitness center in Holden's basement offers a brand new lineup of exercise classes, including the ultimate workout, ballet, cardio kickboxing, and an international dance class along with the previous yoga and Zumba classes. Bi Yang, a first-year graduate in the Student Affairs Administration program at MSU, teaches the ultimate workout classes on Thursday nights. He has the freedom to decide the types of exercises he includes in his workouts, since the class isn't bound to certain exercise regulations. For working out, it should never be easy. It should always challenge you. It should always push you past your limits. And I think that's what my class offers. It's something different. It's something new. And it's fun. Collins said for the students to be on the lookout for even more renovations for the 2013 and 2014 school year. Get excited, MSU. The future of the residential experience is looking especially bright. Reporting for Impact News, I'm Michaela Colonna. Abby Newton, Impact Exposure. The Michigan State College of Music celebrated Christmas a little late this year. Last week, it received a $1 million donation from the MSU Federal Credit Union to launch a new Jazz Studies Residence Program. I sat down with College of Music Dean Jim Forger and President of MSU Federal Credit Union Patrick McFlaren earlier today to discuss the donation. Now you can say that the Michigan State University Federal Credit Union and the College of Music just advance the relationship a little bit with the recent donation of a million dollars from the credit union to the College of Music. Now, first off, Jim, how does this uh, contribution impact the College of Music? Well, it's a fabulous and transformational gift that will propel one of our uh, best and uh, well-known programs, Jazz Studies, to the, to the next level and provide tremendous uh, service to the broader, to the Lansing community and across the state. With this nice donation, there's definitely a lot of possibility for impact. Now, Pat, what motivated the Federal Credit Union to choose jazz studies? Well, we selected jazz because it is one of the gems at Michigan State. It is a nationally recognized program, and it also has a number of the other factors that we really wanted, which was um, outreach to the MSU students. So these guest artists are going to come here and help and work with the MSU students and then also with local students in the school districts and teachers in the local school districts. So it creates a number of wins and outreaches and benefits the entire community. The donation will help fund the Artists in Residence program, which will help bring established jazz stars to East Lansing for a week at a time to work with students and to perform. 
And the jazz program at Michigan State has always been known for its strong efforts and outreach. But Jim, why is outreach so important? Well, uh, students need to practice performing. And they, there's an oral tradition in jazz which is handed down from master teachers to their students and from our students to folks into the community. So we have a series of tours and uh, programs in local schools. We have a regular outreach program at CMS Detroit on Woodward Avenue where we have faculty artists in the school and their students working with them and teaching on a regular basis. So it's part of the culture. And how did the relationship between the College of Music and the Federal Credit Union begin? Well, we've been one of their sponsors for the jazz series and um, have built the relationship over the last few years. And we've seen such positive results from our sponsorship. We wanted to deepen that relationship. And deep down, are you secretly a jazz music fan? I am a jazz fan, but I know absolutely nothing about music and especially even jazz. <laughs> well, that's okay. You're good at listening. That's all that matters. And how about you? How did you get your start with the jazz music? Well, I'm, I, in my real life, I'm a saxophonist, aside from being a bureaucrat, and uh, I still play a little bit. And I played uh, jazz uh, through high school and through uh, college as well. And what would you have thought if you had this artist-in-residence program available during your college years? Gosh, to have a regular opportunity to have some of the leading jazz artists not just come for a quick concert, but to be in residence for a week. There's a period to, of really getting to know them and networking with them and having these folks from around the country uh, say, gosh, look what's happening at MSU, or I heard a great bass player, there's an opportunity. Help them network and get, get jobs. It's also uh, useful in that, in that respect as well. And in that regard, how are the students responding to this? I think the students are really psyched up. I think they are thrilled. I think they're honored. I think that it, it, uh, it's a way of, uh, I think they feel very proud. Uh, they're proud of the, their faculty who are among the, the best in the country and, and they're proud to be part of a community that is an active learning community that uh, shares more broadly and uh, uh, gives them great, uh, great learning opportunities. I'm sure they're very excited, and rightfully so. Now, Pat, what are you most excited for in the College of Music and the new initiatives? Well, they're going to use it primarily to have the artists come and spend a week and do a series of uh, performances and outreach. So, um, again, spreading their knowledge in the local community, helping MSU students with their art and with their careers is extremely important. And then our other hope is in the high school area and middle school area, giving people another reason to complete their education, maybe pursue their dream. That is really important for the young people, especially in the Lansing School District. And then for the whole community, a great jazz program gives people another reason to look at the MSU and the local community. If you're a professional that can locate any place in the world, we have to make it attractive here. And in a business level, economic development, it's real important to have programs like these and enhance them and improve them. Oh, certainly. I think the community itself, especially, has a lot to look forward to with the College of Music. Now, Jim, what can we look forward to? Uh, what artists are coming or what's going to be happening soon? Well, I think that uh, I, I'll leave that to uh, the person I try to work for in this regard is Rodney Whitaker, our fabulous director of jazz studies. And so uh, that will be the selection uh, of uh, uh, 
between Rodney and his faculty, and I'm certain before our final selection is made, they'll get together with Pat and April Clovis, his assistant, and collaboratively have a just a great unveiling of the first MSU FCU visiting guest artists in jazz. I know one of the goals and aspirations of Rodney Whitaker is is to say, gosh, we have 48,000 students on this campus and we ought to engage them actively in a variety of ways. College of Music has every desire to uh, have a place in, in our college for non-majors to participate. So anyone out there listening, you play an instrument, you want to play some jazz, <coughs> there's a place for you in the College of Music. Well, there you go. All are welcome at the College of Music. Now, we are very excited about this new project, and we're looking forward to hearing more about it. Now, before we leave, is there anything else that you gentlemen would like to add? We uh, very much appreciate what MSUFCU has done for Michigan State, the students at Michigan State, and uh, the broader community. Uh, they actually started out uh, with a sponsorship of the Spartan Marching Band and uh, Spartan Spectacular, and that has been a benefit to its enrolled, as you may know, uh, about 330 students, most of whom are not music majors, maybe 10%. And so uh, it's made up of students from every core college and professional school. So the initial support that was provided by the MSUFCU supported a very broad base of students across campus, and we're very grateful for that. Well, thank you again for talking to Exposure today. We really appreciate your time. Again, this was College of Music Dean Jim Forger and the MSU Federal Credit Union President and CEO Pat McFarland. The Keep Michigan Wolves Protected campaign has been traveling around Michigan to get support for their cause. Impact's Lauren Goodleski reports on the purpose and the progress of this campaign. We need to get 225,000 signatures. That's our goal. And we have a very short time frame. We have to overgather by about 30% in order to make sure that we have enough. Because if we're just one short, we don't qualify for the ballot. Ellie Hayes was one of the first speakers at the Keep Michigan Wolves Protected campaign, urging citizens to sign by March 20th. It's a ballot referendum campaign to collect signatures to get on the 2014 ballot to veto legislation making the wolf a game species. Michigan State Director for the Humane Society of the United States, Jill Fritz, is also the director of the Keep Michigan Wolves Protected campaign. Beginning in Grand Rapids and traveling all across Michigan, the group has been pressing hard for signatures under such a limited amount of time, according to Fritz. We had to wait for the Board of Canvassers to approve the language, so we're really going to have a lot less than the actual Russell from days. Harbor Springs happened to be in the Lansing area for an Economic Development Corporation meeting. He said he has been following the government's approval of wolf hunting for two months. Russell was quick to back up his disapproval. Well, wolves are a scarce resource. There are only there are less than 700 in the Upper Peninsula. Secondly, there's no compelling evidence that they're attacking livestock, people, of property. And so this is just another gratuitous grab by the hunting lobby to attack anything that breathes and moves. The campaign argued that it's pointless to hunt wolves because they are not being hunted for food or for substantial purposes, but instead as trophies. 
Kristen for Seth has been an active member in following the recent campaign. She sees firsthand that even hunters disagree with the possible legislation. My brother's a big deer hunter, and he is against this. He does not believe that wolves should be hunted in Michigan. They're not at a sustainable population, and he actually doesn't feel they could ever really be at a sustainable population. And it's also very good to keep the genetic viability of the herd up there. He wants to sign it, and so do the two hunters that live in my neighborhood. So it seems that the hunters that I know actually firmly believe this is not a species you hunt. As the hourglass pours, Keep Michigan Wolves Protected understands that time is running short. Remember Hayes, the first conference speaker? She re-emphasized the importance of time and retrospective signature collection. So what we're asking from each of you is to dedicate four hours a week for the next seven weeks for the wolves. You would be able to become part of our wolf pack. That is somebody who gathers one signature for every wolf in the state of Michigan. There are 687 wolves left. We're asking you to get one signature for each one of them. Although there was a small turnout at the Lansing Conference, almost every hand in the room was raised, pledging 16, to keep the wolves around. 17 hands up. You guys are amazing. Director are Fritz amazing. has high hopes. Uh, we're confident we can do it because Michigan citizens really care about wolves and want to see them protected. For Impact Exposure, I'm Lauren Godlesky. You're listening to Impact Exposure. just received word of an invasion. Speak quickly, maggot. Is it those Canadians again? I don't know, sir. We've just heard that Monday at 8 p.m. the impact will be invaded. You stupid ninny. That's the Asian invasion. It's the poppiest, catchiest, and all-around toe-tapping his music out of the Korea, Japan, and China. But, sir, I'm no good with Asian dialects. Shut up and listen to the music, private. That catchy beat knows no language barrier. Now move out, everyone. Sir, yes, sir. The Asian invasion. Monday nights from 8 till 10 on The impact. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Thursday nights from 10 until 2 a.m. Listen to the Hours of Power, the scariest and only metal show in the mid-Michigan area. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. Research shows that most people who live with mental illnesses such as depression, bipolar disorder, or anxiety experience their first episode during college. Active Minds is a national organization founded to use the student voice to raise awareness of mental health. Michigan State Active Minds is featured today in our Spartan Spotlight. Members Stephanie Cowell and Jonathan Hodges are here to chat chat with me. Welcome, Stephanie and Jonathan. Thanks. Now, what is Active Minds and how did it begin? Uh, Active Minds is a nonprofit organization dedicated to raising mental health awareness and reducing the stigma attached to mental health topics. Um, it began in 2001 uh, by Allison Mailman, who was a junior in college. Following the suicide of her brother, she didn't like how her brother had struggled with depression and silence and how on most college campuses, like, nobody talks openly about it. So she wanted to start a group that got people talking about it so he, nobody else would have to suffer. Okay. Very neat. Now, what is the mission of Active Minds? Um, We hope to promote mental health awareness on college campuses and reduce the stigma surrounding mental health issues. Okay. Jonathan, why did you get involved with Active Minds? I got involved with Active Minds after working at the Counseling Center as a student intern. Um, I, we, we worked hand-in-hand hand, uh, while they met in the Counseling Center for their meetings, and I thought it was a really cool organization um, that was doing some good work around campus, and I was happy to be involved with combating the stigma on any mental health issues. Okay, and Stephanie, how about you? Why did you get involved? 
Um, I got involved after, um, in high school, I went through depression and was hospitalized for depression and cutting and suicide watch. So when I got out of the hospital, I wanted to do something in the community to kind of raise awareness so nobody else had to go through what I did. Um, so in Ann Arbor, I started a group that was a lot like Active Minds. And when I came to college, I found Active Minds and just thought it was the perfect group to join. Okay. And when you were in high school and experiencing those uh, difficult times, did it help to have a group that you created? Yeah, it did a lot because it was not so much coping, but just kind of like helping other people made me feel good in turn. And knowing that I was helping other people with what I'd gone through was just really helpful for me, just getting over everything myself. Sure. And the Active Minds group, are there a lot of students who have previously experienced turmoils such as those? It's very, very common. Um, I, I think Probably over half of the students that I've spoken with definitely have dealt with it themselves. And and actually being involved with, with learning the steps to help other people deal with their mental health issues definitely reinforces the same sort of help with the people involved. Sure, I can imagine so. Now, why do you feel that mental health awareness is important specifically at colleges and universities? I think it's really important because college is such a big change from where people were before in high school that it might be kind of difficult to deal with at first. So there is a lot of anxiety and depression and sad feelings that can come with, like leaving home and going across the country to go to school, and it's pretty stressful. So I think that just having awareness about the different issues is helpful so that people don't have to go through it alone and can talk to friends and seek help. Okay. How about you, Jonathan? Similar agree? Or do you agree? Or do you have different things to add? I think Stephanie pretty much covered it. Okay. Now, Jonathan, you've been involved with Active Minds for a while. Have you seen, uh, you know, the mental health issues increase or decrease through your time here? Um, I think I think they probably have generally stayed the same. Um, we're, we're currently trying to increase our reach, which definitely would be a good thing with combating numbers. Um, but... But I think that the the group's growth is still continuing. Okay, good. That's exciting. <laughs> now, to continue this outreach, what initiatives do you guys have planned for Active Minds? Uh, this semester, we um, are going to be doing our normal events that we've done. And then we are also doing a, a new um, event that's going to be like an Active Minds 5K. Um, we did the Out of the Darkness Walk last semester, which was really successful. So we hope that focusing less on suicide and more on just uh, like more mental health issues will get more people involved and more people like aware of what's going on on college campuses. Okay, what was the Out of Darkness campaign? Um, it's a suicide awareness walk that includes everybody in the community in East Lansing, and they do it across the country, and it's through the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So it's a 5K where we just have families come in who usually walk in honor of somebody and just kind of get people aware of how big of an issue suicide is. Have you had good turnout for those? It's actually been really good turnout for those, yeah. Um, and we initially started that in honor of an MSU student who completed suicide. So. Really? When did that happen? Um, I believe 2007. Okay, and it's continuing to kind of gain more support and grow throughout mm -hmm. the years? Yep. Well, that's It good. actually that's doubled in size from year one to year two. That's great. Congratulations on that. And that's awesome for MSU students to get involved with as well. Um, now, are there any other events the organization is looking to put on in the future, maybe future goals? Um, our future goals are just to do more things focusing on uh, just issues like eating disorders, anxiety, stress, because we have focused a lot on depression and suicide, so we're going to try and branch away from that and do certain activities that focus on other things. Okay, and you mentioned eating disorders. Do you think those are pretty prominent on college campuses? 
Um, I think so, because I know, like, living in the dorms, you don't always want to walk across the street <laughs> to go eat. So I think it is harder to, like, keep up a healthy weight when you are in college, either gaining weight or losing weight. So I think it's just something that we need to kind of focus on and make sure people are eating healthy. Okay, sure. Now, how many uh, members are in your organization? Um, right now, we have about 100 people on Facebook. Okay, that's huge. That's great. <laughs> now, I understand that uh, suicide, like you mentioned, is actually the second leading cause of death in college students. And it took uh, 1,100 students' lives last year. So what has Active Minds, besides the, um, the campaign you talked about earlier, done to combat the situation? I mean, we've done a lot of programs like Send Silence Packing. We, we brought that into on the MSU campus. Um, and it's just a program to bring awareness to the numbers like that 1,100 uh, college students per year that complete suicide. So uh, through, through additional um, post-secret is another program that, that we were interested in possibly getting involved with. Um, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the post-secret books, but they actually do an on-campus post-secret um, event where students can write down their secrets anonymously and feel like they have some weight off their chest. So through programs like that. Okay, that's very interesting. So the post-secret book, what is that specifically? Um, post-secret is a book that was published with kind of just random people's secrets that, that they submitted to this author who had the idea um, for anonymous secret submission just so uh, for people to have a way to deal with deal with their secrets that have been weighing on them. So what they do at, at college campuses is just have boxes where you fill out a card and you drop it in the box and it's displayed somewhere and you don't have to be embarrassed about your secret, but you can feel like you got some weight off your chest. Sure, I'm sorry. People are probably walking faster. They feel a little bit lighter. Um, now, also, you mentioned the send silence packing. Could you describe that a little bit more in detail? Actually... That's that's an activity that came to MSU before either of us were here. So. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're, but we're researching more of it right now. Okay. Yeah, it's where we have um, Active Minds has the like all the backpacks. We have eleven hundred backpacks that we set up in one room just to show people like how big a number eleven hundred is, and they can really see like wow, this many people attempt suicide every year on a college campus. So it's just kind of a big. Like, it leaves a big impact on people. And a lot of people that joined Active Minds saw this in silence packing, and that's all they talk about for a while because they just, like, you can think, oh, 1,100, but it's a lot different when you actually see it in front of you and can look at the backpacks and be like, that was a student, and, like, these were all students. So it's just, it's a nice event that Active Minds puts on because then you can see the how big the number is. Very powerful, it sounds like, mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Now, what can students do if they need help? Where do they go, or how do they you know, find the help they really need? Uh, students can talk to their friends. Um, that's a big thing. Um, RAs are trained to help like intervene if people ha are having issues. Um, people could also go to the counseling center and talk to a counselor there. Um, it's in the student services building right across from the, mu from the museum. And students can go and just talk to a counselor and or I mean if you talk to anybody really opening up to anybody is will help a lot that's great well thank you guys very much for joining us today is there anything else you'd like to add about Active Minds if you're interested in being involved you can definitely find us on Facebook Active Minds at MSU okay well great thank you again that was Jonathan and Susan from Active Minds all right, after the break, we will have our Michigan Storytellers portion of the show where a writer, singer, or artist from the community shares his or her work. You're listening to Impact Exposure. First, 
Hey, what floor are you going to? <clears throat> oh, uh, three. Thanks. <coughs> hey, didn't we, uh, have... Yeah, that one class. Yeah, that's so funny to, <laughs> to see you, because I <coughs> thought maybe we could, uh... Would you ever want to, um... <coughs> I was wondering if you... If I could stick my finger in your eye. What? No. No, oh, I just flushed some toilets and touched a doorknob. What? I've been keeping this moist Kleenex Ew, in my pocket. that's uh, so gross. I thought we could, you know, just stick my finger Ugh. in your eye. Is that weird? No! Don't touch me! What's wrong with you? Oh, sorry. Well, ever since you got in the elevator, you've been coughing all over your hands and pressing those buttons, so I just thought you were into that kind of thing. Free. Studies show that three-quarters of women and only half of men actually wash their hands in the bathroom. That's nasty. Stop the flu and other germs by regularly washing with soap and avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. More at cdc.gov slash clean hands. Impact 89 FM. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. From 10 p.m. until midnight Sunday nights, listen to the Impact Afterglow, where you can hear a variety of relaxed tracks to help you ease into the start of a new week. Only on Impact Primetime. Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. Welcome back. With me now is Nick Carver, an MSU student for our Michigan Storyteller of the Week. Nick, how are you today? Fantastic, Abby. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Now, what are you sharing with us? Uh, it's a piece I wrote called Pocket Politics. Okay. Uh, it, what? Oh, go ahead. It's just a nonfiction, or not nonfiction, excuse me. It's a fiction piece, um, just very sporadic. Okay. Now, how did your interest for writing begin? Um, I've always enjoyed reading since I was a young child, and it's just kind of evolved from that point onto this Okay, now is this for pleasure to write, or do you are you studying writing? Uh, I'm an English major, but I'm not sure if I can parlay it into anything seriously, so we'll see how it goes. Okay, would you ever want to become a professional writer in your future? Well, absolutely, but, you know, <laughs> they don't make much money. Who knows? If you're right. excellent, perhaps you can. <laughs> right, as <Okay>. I am. <laughs> there you go. Well, Nick, I'll let you go ahead and take it away. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> the office was spotless. The woman stood back proudly and admired her handiwork. Not a speck of dust. Uh-uh. Not on my watch. She swung the feather duster around menacingly towards the full-length mirror. You talking to me? Yes, I actually am. She whirled around to face the serious, speckled man. Nice job, miss. Now, if you'll excuse me, please practice your acting skills elsewhere. She skirted out silently. The man took a brown ball out of his pocket and set it on the floor tentatively. His right hand trembled slightly as it removed a cylinder with a white label. Unscrewing the top, he spoke something softly and touched his face. Ooze dripped on the ball, coating it like a frosted fruitcake. It cracked, the sound similar to aluminum foil crumpling. Rocking side to side, it expanded and doubled simultaneously. It began to look like a gingerbread man, but made of clay and growing rapidly. Well, well, the silver-haired servant of the people remarked. This may work out after all. A thing that resembled a man lay on the floor. Murky facial attributes pushing from the primordial plaque. Mouth, ears, and nose all soon appeared on the golem's visage. Facial features were now evident. A mouth cracked open to reveal a stump that turned pink and brown blocks that may have been molars. Eyes and eyelids emerged, mud flaking off like old paint to reveal a pair of pearly, purely white eyes. Hands and legs were developing, five fingers and toes emerging from the brown, block-like limbs. The mud fell off and evaporated into the foreign carpet. The old man whistled as the thing opened its eyes and stood up. Make these more authentic now, he spoke to the being. True to form, ain't that right? Put some clothes on. We have things to do. It nodded and opened its eyes, touching teeth with the tongue. 
A black and white tuxedo sat draped on the back of a chair. It dressed deliberately, then held the tie up curiously. Really? They haven't fixed this yet? Five models and I dress everyone like a housewife. Fine. Come here. Bare feet patted on the imported rug. My pop taught me how to do this. He chuckled. Well, you don't care. You won't be around long enough to remember anyway. There. It stared in the mirror, blonde hair and blue eyes looking back blankly. It motioned the man, pointing at the throat. Ah, right. He reached into his pocket and removed a small piece of paper. The mouth opened and the paper disintegrated upon contact with the tongue. Where are we? It asked, adjusting the, toot, the tie and suit methodically. Des Moines, Iowa. It nodded and smiled at the mirror, the mouth stretching but the eyes never moving. The notes? On the podium. It flashed the pearly white teeth. Let's change the world. The old man patted on the back and walked out with a smiling suit. He spoke sternly. Now don't say anything that's not on the card. Two double doors beckoned down the hall, shouts of jubilation and anxiety audible behind it. The suit looked at the man and spoke. Couldn't dream of it. It pushed the doors open and smiled from ear to ear as the screams turned to deafening. A microphone was thrust in its hands. Who wants to change the world? The crown roared as it began. My foul Iowans. That was great. Nice job, Nick. Thank you. Now, is a political life in your future as well? Hmm? Oh, <laughs> we never know what's in the cards. <laughs> well, thank you again for coming. We really appreciate your time. Absolutely. You did an excellent job reading as well. Thank you. Now, to end tonight's exposure is the motivational moment, a time to leave you with inspiration for the week. In this moment, I quote Helen Keller, The best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. Thank you for tuning in tonight, ladies and gentlemen, keeping you informed and bidding you farewell. Until next time, this is Abby Newton for Impact Exposure, 89FM. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Impact Exposure.